just is really important to just start talking about mental health. You people are just just so just stigmatize mental health so badly when you watch something like like the 11 o'clock news you might hear something like oh this person with schizophrenia you know hurt a person or people but what you'll never hear on the 11 o'clock news is this person with schizophrenia woke up in the morning had some coffee then went to work maybe after work went out with friends came home had dinner and watched some tv went to bed that's because in the world we live in crisis and mental illness is public while wellness and mental illness is private Hey, welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today, I'm here with Michelle Hammer, the founder of Schizophrenic New York City, a mental health clothing brand and a schizophrenia activist living in New York City who wants to change the way that New Yorkers perceive people with mental illness. Michelle, you are absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you really? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm doing all right. Yeah. I am so excited. So first of all, tell us a little bit more about your clothing brand and what inspired you to start it. Sure. All right. Yeah. Schizophrenic NYC was all started by me, Schizophrenic New Yorker. Um, Just one day I was just on the subway. I was running down the subway train and you know, I kind of had this way of like talking to myself in my room, but I always call me out like, oh, you're talking to yourself. I had this like way of moving my arms and I'm on the subway and I looked on the subway train and there's a homeless guy doing the exact same thing that I do. And I thought to myself, you know, what's the difference between me and this guy? Because why aren't I homeless? And I was like, if I didn't have the support of my family, friends and doctor, I could be homeless just like him. And then I kind of realized I wanted to do something that, you know, give back to the homeless community, mental illness, just something that can make a difference. And it kind of just just happened. And that's what I did. I love that you really are making a difference and eradicating the stigma on mental illness because it does prevent so many people from reaching out for help and for getting the help they deserve on top of the lack of resources that are available. But why was it so important for you to start this conversation and to normalize it? It just it just is really important to just start talking about mental health. You people are just just so just stigmatize mental health so badly when you watch something like like the 11 o'clock news you might hear something like oh this person with schizophrenia you know hurt a person or people but you'll never hear on the 11 o'clock news is this person with schizophrenia woke up in the morning had some coffee then went to work maybe after work went out with friends came home had dinner and watched some tv went to bed that's because in the world we live in crisis and mental illness is public while wellness and mental illness is private that's why we need to just share our stories let everyone know that we have mental illness we live completely normal lives and just let everyone know that we're, you know, it doesn't let you get in the way of just living a normal life and you can be completely, you know, successful, capable, and, and a person that's totally normal, whatever normal is, and just have a mental illness and just get rid of all those horrible, nasty stories all the time. If you just hear the bad stories, you're just going to think that it's a bad thing. Let's just normalize mental illness. I love that you said that because I recently read a study, I think it was done about a decade ago on psychiatryonline.org, where they looked at characters who were depicted with um, schizophrenia. 83% displayed violent behaviors and about one third of them were homicidal. So the media has really played this role in creating this myth that an individual with schizophrenia has to be dangerous. They have to be violent. So I would love to debunk that right here, right now. In your experience, what has it been like living with schizophrenia? 
Um, well, I mean, schizophrenia is never fun. I wouldn't call it a fun time, but I mean, you know, it, it has its challenges, but I, you know, it's not, you're definitely not homicidal like that. I wouldn't agree that it's homicidal, but that's what the media makes it out to see. I mean, there's one movie I've seen called The Roommate. And for a while, this, this girl played by, I forget her name, whatever it was. And she goes crazy. She wants to kill people. She rips out a girl's belly button ring and they go through her stuff. They find her medicine and it has brand name. It's the right name. And it's the medicine that I take at night. And I'm like, great. So if, what if I stop taking my medicine, am I going to go crazy and start killing people? And then the other day I'm watching pom-pom cheerleader, some lifetime movie that I found on Amazon prime. And they're like, what's going on with her? They find her medicine. She hasn't been taking her medicine. It's the medicine that I took while I was in college. Like, why do we keep using brand names in movies? And how come every time I'm watching a movie where a person stops taking their medicine, it's the medicine that I've taken in the past or the medicine that I take now. And it's just like, hello, why does this keep happening to me? But it happens because it just, it keeps showing what, if you're schizophrenic and you stop taking your meds, you go crazy and you start killing people. Like, why does this keep happening in movies? This needs to stop. And it has to stop being the medicines that I take. Like, stop this. It is ridiculous that they use the brand names too, because think yeah. about all the people who are afraid to get on the medication, right? They don't know if they should or not. And that's the medication that's recommended to them. And they think, oh my goodness, if I miss a dose or if I miss two doses, I forget I'm traveling. I don't have it with me. I'm going to end up killing someone. I can't do this. I can't take it. They're right? really perpetuating this. It, it is, exactly. So of course I'm watching it with a friend, right? The first time. And they're like, oh, so if you don't take your nighttime medicine, that means you're going to go homicidal. And I'm like, no, no. Oh my goodness. It just, it blows my mind that the media has portrayed it in a way that is so difficult to make people want to reach out for help. Just not even the fact also that it's often so done wrong, but you're making it so much harder for someone to want to get help. And when they get the diagnosis, that feels terrifying. And then you don't know what to do because the media is telling you that all this medication isn't going to help you. It's actually going to hurt you and make you worse. And then you might kill someone. You're going to end up in jail and your life is over. And you just go down that rabbit hole. Right. Right. You know, it's, it, they make it so scary. Like, you know, take your meds, take your meds. But if you miss your meds, you're going to go evil. Oh. Right. Like, come on. Like, like I know a lot of people with schizophrenia. Like I do know a lot of people and they're the most kind, like nonviolent people ever. But like, if you see the media about anything with schizophrenia, it's like the most violent things ever. Yeah. It's like, it's like, like, that's like, if you're a person with schizophrenia, you're more likely to be a victim of violence rather than the perpetrator. But if you watch the news, you would never understand that. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, they don't tend to discuss all the symptoms of schizophrenia too. It's just the hallucinations and it's hallucinations that are making you dangerous. That's making you hurt yourself or hurt someone else. So let's talk a little bit about the symptoms that you experience with schizophrenia and what they look like for you. Yeah, sure. Well, there are three main symptoms of schizophrenia, positive, negative, and cognitive. And just because they're called positive doesn't mean they're a good thing. It's more of like an add-on. And that's more like if you see things, if you talk to yourself, things that are like addition to your personality. Um, And then there's negative symptoms that take away from your personality, more like, you know, being more withdrawn or isolating. And then there's the cognitive symptoms that make you like understand what people are talking about, what like just more social skills, things like that. A lot of what I do is more like just delusions, like, 
a lot of people like they might see a hallucination. I kind of just like see a whole situation and then I just like think that it's all real and then I start making things up and then I believe that all these other stories intertwine with everything and then nothing really makes sense anymore but I believe things are actually real and that's what I think is like right and then I go to people and I'd be like, why did you do that to me? And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I knew that happened. And they're like, what are you even talking about? Why are you yelling at me right now? So I have accused many different people of many different things that never even happened because I believe them to be real. But that's mostly what I've done really is just accuse people of things. So what is that like when you have a conversation with a loved one or a friend and you thought something happened and they're saying it didn't, how do you communicate and get through the situation? Because a lot of people can be very judgmental when it comes to mental illness and not know how to respond and how to have an actual conversation. Oh, it, it usually doesn't go well. They just tell me that it's my schizophrenia and that I'm wrong and that I need to practice what I preach and understand, you know, that like I'm an advocate. So why don't I see it in myself as well? And I say that I, that delusions are this, this, this. No, don't matter. And I realize that I'm being delusional, blah, 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 blah. So it usually doesn't go well. But if I have somebody to back up my story with me, that's very handy. So I like to have a backup plan usually. Bring somebody with me around a real situation and be like, no, I have a backup. See, they were there too. You did say that to me. It's real. I love that. And what does that feel like though, when someone goes straight to blaming your mental illness? I know for me, when someone's like, oh, you're just being bipolar. I'm like, no, but I'm genuinely feeling this way. And just going straight to that's your mental illness. I can't deal with that right now often makes me feel like my, I don't want to say that my mental illness is my identity, but that I myself am not good enough because of it. No. Yeah, I get that. It's, it's frustrating when people just blame your mental illness. It is really frustrating. Like my, even like just when people say stupid things, my dad was like, do you go by she, her or they, them? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I've always been she, her. She's like, oh, but you're schizophrenic. So I thought like your different voices would make you a they, them. I'm like, what are you talking about, dad? Like, what are you talking about? Like, like, just like the, like the stupid things that people say are just so dumb. Like, do you, he, like, I can, well, I don't know why I'm talking about my dad, but he's also says just dumb things. Like, don't you have to take a road test much like, like quicker than other people have to take road tests because you might see things. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I, I take a road test just like everybody else. And he's like, yeah, but like people with mental illness, they have to take road tests more often than other people to make sure they can actually drive. I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? It's a you like drive a car, you can't drive a car. Why, why would it be a difference? 80 year old people can still drive cars. Why can't I drive a car? Right, right. Just like just dumb things like that. It just shows how much misinformation is out there that makes no sense. And right. I don't even know where a lot of these ideas come from because so many times people will just come up with something that makes no sense. And it's something you've never heard before. Right. Exactly. Why would I be they, them? Cause I hear voices in my head. I mean, not to insult anyone that, that is schizophrenic and goes by they, them because of the voices in their head. But I don't know why my dad would just assume that of me. It's just exactly. like bizarre to me because, well, I, because I have multiple voices in my head. I therefore am multiple people. What, 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 where does that come from? That sounds like a confusion between um, <laughs> like DID, right? Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, what? like, I think retirement has made you so bored. You're just making up like, like new things in your head and you're just trying to entertain yourself really. And then these ideas, they 
just snowball yes. until it becomes something else. And then people don't know how to respond and they don't know how to have a conversation. I mean, in the past, they never talked about mental health. I mean, 10 years ago, we were barely talking about mental health. So when our parents were growing up, they had no idea really what mental health was. And if they were feeling a certain way that they were crazy, it was in their head and they had to just get over and no one could find out. So now having them try to have conversations, they often don't know where to start or what to say. So (laughs) looking back at that conversation, for example, What is a better way you think a parent may be able to go about and ask a question on something they're not sure about? I, I, I think you, you can ask any question, just, just, just try not to be insulting and and try to try to accept the answer and don't try to think that you're right about everything. But I mean, I wouldn't say don't ask, like, you know, you want to ask every question that you can ask, but don't just assume the answer, you know? That is, I think, one of the biggest problems is the assumptions. Yes. And I know with me, for example, I have final exams coming up next week. So my parents know that I am going to be super stressed and I'm not going to be like this fun bubble of energy. I'm probably going to be crying every day. Yeah. So they're assuming that my medication's not working, that my bipolar disorder is all out of whack because I am stressed about exams. So instead of asking, how can we support you? It's, well, you just need to go to a psychiatrist. You need to figure something out. And mm-hmm. I feel like that becomes very insulting in a way that they don't mean to, right. but it's, I can also have other things going on. It doesn't just have to be a mental illness. Right. So now I really want to talk more about what it's like getting the diagnosis because from the onset of symptoms for so many different mental illnesses, but schizophrenia in particular it can take years or decades to get the right diagnosis and then figure out what medication works for you and treatment options. So I'm wondering, what was it like for you to get the right diagnosis and then start finding a treatment option that worked for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know when I was like got actual schizophrenia. I don't know when that actually developed. I feel like I've had it forever. And I almost want to come up with like a series of like, how did I not know that I had schizophrenia? Because when I think back throughout my life, like, so many people kind of knew that I had schizophrenia before I knew that I had schizophrenia. Like I had a soccer coach when I was 11 who would be like, who are you talking to? Like I had a boss when I was 17 that was like, are you on your cell phone? Like where, who are you speaking to? So many different times people were like, who are you talking to? But I was 18. I was told I was bipolar, but at 22, I was told I was schizophrenic. When I told my friends from college that I was schizophrenic, they were like, yeah, duh. Like we all knew that. Like, that was the most obvious thing about you. Like, you didn't have to tell us that. We thought that was your original diagnosis in the first place. So I was like, okay, well, I guess everybody knew, I guess it was that obvious about me. So then I always say like, you know, getting getting diagnosed with schizophrenia was the best thing that ever happened to me because then I could be treated for the right illness. And then with that whole situation with getting meds and everything, I guess it took a period of like five years to get me on the right meds. And then you know, things are going as good as they could possibly go. But then you're just always like, you know, maybe I need adjustment here. Maybe I need adjustment there. You know, nothing's ever like, you know, hundred percent perfect because, you know, life changes, you know, so meds need to change as life changes as well. Exactly. And when you were diagnosed with bipolar disorder, did you know that that was not the right diagnosis for you? And did you continue to go back trying to find it? Or was it kind of accidental that you did get the right diagnosis later on? 
Well, I think I was doing some self-stigma because I knew that I wasn't bipolar. I looked up all the symptoms and I knew that I didn't fit that, but I kind of like had that, you know, feeling because if my, all my friends knew I was schizophrenic and they were like, uh, you know, I think I knew it too, but I, it was like that self-stigma thinking, I don't want to be schizophrenic. I don't want that either. And, you know, the whole, you know, suffering Olympics, like schizophrenia is the worst one when really, you know, it's just, you can't really judge different mental illnesses, you know? whatever it is, if you have anxiety, depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, DID, anything, not really one is worse than the other one. You can't really say one is worse because everything is on its own spectrum of levels or anything like that. So I was just thinking, I don't want that diagnosis because that sounds like a bad one. So I just kind of left it as it was and didn't think anything of it until I was like, after college. And I was like, I just need a real diagnosis now. And I'll be more honest because I just really need help. It's really hard when it takes time to get ready to advocate for yourself and to find that acceptance within you that it's okay to get a label that sounds scarier or that sounds more severe, or more stigmatized. Mm-hmm. But I really love that you were able to go and advocate for yourself and realize that honesty and being more honest. I think that so many people are afraid to be completely honest because they don't know what the psychologist or psychiatrist or mental health professional is going to say. They don't know what's going to happen when they're honest. So was it kind of terrifying at all for you to feel, to be honest for the first time, completely honest about all the symptoms and what you were going through? Or was it just kind of natural in that moment? I mean, it's not that it was terrible to be honest. Is that like, I didn't want to be honest. I didn't want to answer all the questions. And then the doctor's like, dude, like you got to answer the questions, just answer the questions, which I kind of like, cause he helped me, helped me like actually held me like accountable for like the first time. Cause every doctor is kind of like, okay, okay. But he was like, dude, you're paying a lot of money. You got to answer the questions. Let's go. Let's do it. And I finally was like, okay, fine. I'll answer your questions, buddy. Come on, let's just go. And then it was like, okay, we've got a new diagnosis for you. And like, that's why I liked him because like, I was always in like upstate New York answering these doctors, blah, 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 blah. Bring me to New York city. Get me a doctor. That's actually going to like let's do it. Come on, let's go. And I was like, this is going to work. You know, none of those fluttery, like, I'm not into those like psychiatrists and therapists. They're like, let's talk about your feelings. I'm into let's go. Let's get it done. Let's talk. Let's get down to it. Okay. Let's go. That works for me. And it's so important to find a therapist that works for you. And I think that people assume that therapist or only let's talk about your feelings or that idea that you lay on the couch and you just talk about what's going on or you're hypnotized or whatever the again media has portrayed therapy to look like and be right but how was it just when the doctor was like let's go answer these questions that you realized you needed a doctor who was kind of forceful and was going to make you get the work done or did you kind of realize that beforehand you needed someone who was more strict and willing to push I didn't realize there were doctors that were forceful and made you to get the work done. I didn't realize that doctors were actually like that. I thought they were all pushovers that were like, la, 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 la. What do you want to talk about? Okay. 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 You know, I didn't realize there were actual doctors that actually held you accountable. And I was like, oh, this is actually like, wow. What a breath of fresh air. Somebody that actually will make you speak. Exactly. And I think that it's one of the biggest problems when we go to therapists, we don't know what kind of therapist we're looking for. And then we find one who does kind of is that more pushover personality, like you said. And then we think, well, this doesn't work for me. That's it. I'm never going to go back to therapy because I don't need someone to sit there and ask me how I'm feeling. I can ask myself how I'm feeling. My friends can ask me. I need right. someone who's willing to 
give me the work and hold me accountable. So when it comes to holding you accountable in therapy, do you have an example maybe of one thing that you were held accountable for that really helped you? Let me think about that one. I, I think I was just telling a story about how I felt like about a certain like office meeting that I had and how I made it like a really big deal in my head. And the doctor said, why is this such a big deal? And I said, well, I keep thinking about it. And she was mean to me. And she goes, why is it such a big deal? And I was like, but she, I don't like how she spoke to me. Why is it such a big deal? And I was like, okay, I kind of see what your point is. It doesn't really add on to my life. I'm never going to see her again. Good point. That is, I love that because we do make things such a big deal in our heads. I actually just went through this with my therapist that I have this giant fear of failure, which is why exams make me so stressed. And my therapist was like, what happens if you fail? And I was like, the world's going to end. Like I'm nothing will ever work out for me. Like I will, that will be it. I'll never get a job. I'll never just do anything. And my therapist is like, no, what's going to happen? I was like, the world is going to end. Like, and I just kept going down this rabbit hole, of all these terrible things that could happen. And my therapist, again, just kept asking me. And she's like, no, if you fail, you fail a test. If you fail class, you retake the class. The world is literally not going to end. And sometimes you need someone to push you and force you to say it over and over again and force you to realize that it is a much bigger deal in your head than what's actually happening. But that forceful push is so important. Yes. Yes. For somebody actually putting it in your face of like, what, what's the big, big deal? Why are you blowing this up to make it like a huge blimp? And it's so gigantic and what it's going to follow you around for the rest of your life. Like, no, it's not that big a deal, right? Like, like your test, you could retake the test, right? You could do it all again might suck for now, but it could always be retaken. Or for me, like I was never going to see that person again. So what is the big deal? Right? Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, when we first spoke, one thing that we really, really connected on was the labels and people wanting to get rid of labels. And you were talking about how it's not a big deal to have labels. Labels can actually help us find, feel that we're not alone, to know that what we're going through has a name. Can you talk more about those labels and your opinion on them and perspective? Yeah. Well, the thing, the thing that I have a problem with is that everyone like, you know, I call my business schizophrenic NYC. And when I first had it, people had like this really big deal about it. Like, oh, that is a label, right? That's a label. You just say person with schizophrenia, person with schizophrenia, you know, don't say it has to be person first language has to be person first language. And I just think the whole person first language debate really is kind of ridiculous because if you took all the money from your person first language debate, you know, campaigns and, you know, thought about all the people that have a mental illness that are freezing to death and dying under bridges, like, and took that and helped those people, we could save so many people's lives because that person that's dying and freezing to death under a bridge doesn't care if you call him a person with schizophrenia or a person who's schizophrenic, you know, they don't care. They just need help. So that's the whole thing. We don't need person first language all the time. 
people go by identity first language like myself so i think the argument is just kind of ridiculous like person is bipolar person has bipolar you know person whatever like whatever a person has person is person whatever it's just the whole debate the whole money thing it's just a big waste of time if you want to go by identity first language go for it but don't argue with me that person first language is the only way to go by things it just doesn't make any sense to me and it's a big waste of time it is and you know we're so quick to waste all this time and money trying to argue kind of useless points i mean i agree that saying a person living with bipolar disorder can help a lot of people not attach it to their identity i agree with that However, I don't think money needs to be spent trying to change the way that we talk about it. I don't think that money needs to be spent trying to get rid of the word mental illness and make it only mental health. I think that, like you said, money needs to be spent in activism, in action, in making things better. We're so worried about the stigma that can come around with a word and someone taking it personally, which the stigma is a big, big deal. But certain people... I think everyone, honestly, who has gone through the system, who has spent a fortune to take a medication that they need, who has not been able to access therapy or medication, or has come out in so much debt in a psych ward, who has become homeless due to their mental illness, I think they would appreciate action so much more. Yes, that is 100% correct. 100% correct. I remember once I'm at my pop-up shop and I just see a guy homeless walking down the street in hospital scrubs. I mean, wow. come on. Like what happened to him? He was brought into the hospital. Obviously he can't pay his bills. They just let him go. And it's ridiculous because I remember when I was in the psych ward and because the hospital that I was brought to didn't have a psychiatric unit, I had to pay for an ambulance bill to get there. <laughs> Then the cost of being there, and I found out how many people couldn't afford to be there and how many people were literally just getting thrown back out into the world and didn't have anywhere to go. There Mm -hmm. was nothing really set up for them. And that blew my mind. Someone literally either just tried to kill themselves or were at imminent risk to kill themselves. And our solution is take them away from the problems for 72 hours to a week and then throw them back in with no additional resources or help to get through it. Yeah, that's that's absolutely ridiculous. So like it just goes like, where's the mental health funding even going? Exactly. It's it's not going to the right people. Like people need help. There needs to be an outpatient. There needs to be something to help these people because just taking people in off the street, 72 hours, putting them back out, that doesn't do anything. Where's the funding? Exactly. Or even if like you have insurance, a lot of insurance, they'll cover 10 therapy, vis- vis- 10 therapy visits a year. Who is that helping? 10 visits a year? Who? That's not helping anyone. At that point, you're just building rapport. Yeah. You are still building rapport usually, very likely 10 sessions in. So no real change is happening. I think that the way insurance companies deal with it just proves that people think therapy is going to fix you immediately. They think right. that 10 sessions, you're healed. Everything's good. And that's not the case. I know. I want whoever, whoever made that rule needs to go to therapy and find out why that's wrong. <laughs> I agree. I think yeah. that anyone who's fighting mental health funding needs to go to therapy and find out why they're so against providing more resources for people. Yeah. A, l- a lot of people in Congress need to go to therapy. 
and them. But you know what? Um, they recently passed the 988 bill where they're taking the 1-800-273-8255 and they're making it just 988 and that goes to National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. There's not enough funding to implement that. This is due in a couple months that this is supposed to be a nationwide change. And so many states don't even have the funding for it. I know I've heard about that because I'm working with uh, Sound Mind Live. They're doing a a, a, like a music concert in Central Park and a big part of their thing is 988. So first we're going to make a shirt and I'm like, okay, we're doing 988. And they're like, wait, no, we can't actually do it yet because the funding's not there yet. We got to wait until the whole thing is coming. And I was like, Oh, okay. All right. We'll wait on that. Cause I was like, Hey, what about not feeling great? Dial 988, right? Oh, I like like that. You like that? That's a good one, right? That's coming soon. (laughs) I love that. But yes, the funding and it is ridiculous that it's not like it's just one state or a couple of states. It is almost every single state not being able to get the funding, which means that we're not allocating funding to the priorities. But how do we not have funding to help people who are feeling suicidal? Don't we want to help people who are feeling suicidal? Like how do we're, I want to know where that funding is going if it's not going towards that. Exactly. And our behavioral health facilities are so underfunded. There's not enough beds in so many facilities. There's not enough staff. They're not able to have a wide range of medications so that someone who comes in and is schizophrenic or has bipolar disorder are able to get the right medications. A lot of times it's just antidepressants that are available. There is so much lack of funding. It's not even funny. I haven't seen anywhere on the news about how there's a lack of funding. I see all the people are dying by suicide. Okay, what are we doing Uh about it? There is never, ever a plan from the media, there's all these individuals who have mental illnesses who are violent, who are all these problems. There's never a hope story or very rarely a hope story. There's never the actual problems that need to be brought to our attention, like the lack of funding. And it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I know we have this thing in New York. It was put up. It was called the vessel. And it's this big structure where you walk upstairs, you walk around. It was a whole cool thing. It was even featured on Project Runway. And they had to shut it down because people kept jumping off the top of it. It Wow. Over and over and over again. And then they put in, you have to go in with a buddy. And then they made it, you have to go in paid because it used to just be free. And then even paid with a buddy. A a boy went up there with his family, who's 14 years old, and just jumped off the top of it. And then they had to close the vessel. Nobody is allowed on the vessel anymore, but nowhere in any of the reporting of any of the the suicides from the vessel was anything for suicide prevention. Nothing. You would think that this is happening in the city. This is happening at a new structure that was built. You would think that anything outside the vessel would be people campaigning for anything for suicide prevention, but there's not. They just closed the vessel. That's what they did. They don't, no one wants to do preventative measures is what I've really realized is that we're so reactive and our reactions are still not good enough. Our reaction is like you said, close it down. Now people can't jump off this building. Problem solved. That's not solving the problem. People are still suicidal. Yeah. 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 It it was like, go, go with a buddy and you have to pay to go up. They thought that would stop the suicides. Didn't. Now it's closed. Of course, it's not going to stop the suicides. If you want to die, 
and you're going to do it. Exactly. And you're going to jump off. You don't care how much money you spend to mm-hmm. get to that point. It, it was, it was $10. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying when I, when I was in, like, it was mad money. It was only 10 bucks, <laughs> but I went on there when it was free. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> so it's going to be like those history, like people that actually got to go on the vessel, you know, it's just, I can't believe that there was no suicide prevention campaign, that there was no prevention coming out of that. I mean, how easy would it have been for them to have signs? Call 1-800-273-8255. You are not alone. Help is available. Right. I mean, how much money they make in tourism from having things like that, being able to donate it toward resources and making things accessible. Exactly. Exactly. You would think you would think that $10 that they had to add to the going up there would have gone to suicide prevention, but instead it didn't. That is just... And then they were saying, we'll, we'll put a net up. We'll put a net up. If you have to put a net up, something's, something's wrong. Yeah, it can't be so reactive. It can't be let's prevent ourselves from having liability issues. It yeah. has to be let's help people. I feel like there needs to be a huge, a huge protest or something at the vessel. Yeah. And I'm going to look into that. I'm going to look into that. I'm gonna keep me updated that. on that. I will keep you updated on that. It is so important that we have these conversations, that we have conversations about resources. You know, you do a lot of conversations with people on the streets in New York City. What are some of the ways that you start these conversations? Oh, just just any way possible. When you when you have a pop up shop in New York City and you have a huge sign that says schizophrenic.nyc, people are like, what in the world is this? You know, sometimes people have gotten mad. They'll be like, you know, is this a joke? What is this? And I'll explain that I have schizophrenia. And they're like, oh, you're very brave. And they just keep moving on. Or like people are like, oh, I love what you're doing. This is amazing. This is so great. People have come to me and they've just like cried. People have, and like people have come to me, they've gotten angry. I've had like two young girls. They told me that their mother was schizophrenic, you know, so what's it like to have schizophrenia? And that put me in like, oh my God, how do I answer this question? You know, yeah. but it's just all, all kinds of reactions, all kinds of conversations. I've met people from all over the world. I've met like therapists from all over the world. Recently, I met a therapist from Colombia. She was like, oh, I love what you're doing. This is amazing. People with schizophrenia are having jobs like this this is so cool and what's always interesting is that people are like oh you're schizophrenic and you have this business wow i love to see a successful schizophrenic person and i'm like i'm not the only one but thank you so much i just it's so funny to me that people think someone with a mental illness can't be successful that they can't function that their life is just over because of a diagnosis And that shows how much lack of education, again, goes into the resources that are available for people. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's just, it's just funny. It's just funny. It's also, it's like most of the time when I meet like a psychiatrist or a therapist or anything, and they're always like, oh, you're schizophrenic. They go, but you're medicated. Right. And I'm like, yes, yes. Like, oh, of course. Yes. Yes all the time all the time or they'll ask me so like they'll be like so what meds are you on like they always want to know wow it's it's just it's always weird when it when I'm speaking to like a doctor that happens to approach my booth they come from a different point of view it's very interesting so for someone who might be in that situation or afraid to go to therapy to talk about it because someone may ask them what advice do you have you know it, it it's scary 
you might feel a little paranoid about it and it and you might feel a little like going like that people are trying to like get into your head and you don't want people to really know what's going on but I would say just go for it because it was the best thing I ever did because it got me on the right plan so just 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 jump in and just go for it it'll be scary but just it's something you gotta do do it I love that because so many people are afraid and they don't want to, and they don't know whether or not they should. And they have all these fears, all these intrusive thoughts in their head, all these paranoias and knowing that just do it, just try and see what happens. You have to get through it. And I think that also goes into the advice for people who want to start the conversation. Just do it. It's going to be terrifying and you're going to have people who respond badly. And when you have someone who responds negatively or yells at you, how do you respond? How do you know how to kind of not fight back and cause the scene that kind of proves them right? You you know, those situations, sometimes I just shut my mouth and I just wave them away. Like, all right, bye, bye. Like, you know, I've had like Scientologists approach my pop-up people and they're like, no medication. I don't believe in that. I just go, see ya. (laughs) See you. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye later. See you later. See you later. You know, it just, just, I just try to ignore them. I try to ignore them. Move on. It's New York City. You'll see one person one time and you might not ever see them again. So it just, that's how it works. That is true. And not letting one voice or 10 voices drown out your own, I think is really important to realize there are 8 billion people in the world. I promise one person, 10 person's opinions doesn't matter and doesn't define who you are. Michelle, you are absolutely amazing. How can our listeners connect with you? Sure. You can check out my website at www.schizophrenic.nyc, Instagram, schizophrenic.nyc, TikTok, schizophrenic.nyc, Twitter, schizophrenic NY, and I think it's Facebook, schizophrenic NYC, and I think that's all the places you can find me. Or YouTube, schizophrenic NYC, actually, too. Check that out. You do have a great video I saw with um, WebMD that yes. really shares your story and going through the day. I thought that was absolutely amazing. And I'm going to make sure to share that link with this episode. Oh, thank you. But Michelle, thank you so much for joining me and for all the advocacy and work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.